Tonight, we're going to talk about your first deliverance, because I'm going to dispel some myths that we have about what it means to do deliverance. Anyway, it's going to be called setting your first captive free. And in Luke 4, 18, Jesus talked about it, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All you've got to have is the Spirit of the Lord upon you. The anointing of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord upon you. And it says, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives, to set the captives free. That is a tremendous ministry if you can actually see someone that is captive and by the power of God that you can set them free. And so that will be your theme scripture of the Spirit of the Lord being upon you. So one of the signs of the Spirit of God being on you is the ability you have of bringing people out of bondage. The ability that you have of setting people free. But the problem that we have is that no one is doing deliverance. So we have these great promises. We have these great scriptures. But we have horrible problems that we can't solve and nobody is doing what the scripture says about it. No one seems to take that initial step. And I'm not talking about in this room. I'm talking about just across the body of Christ. We have substitutes for it. We come up with ideas that we make little programs or different ways to do it. But we're not doing it the way that Jesus did it. So I was thinking about it. And I know the way that got my family started was desperation. There's something about desperation that will bring you to it. But my dad had the choice of either letting my mom go into a mental institution, and back then they didn't have a 90-day limit on it. So he had a choice of signing his wife in or doing something about it. And so because my dad decided, I'm going to try doing what the Bible says, it literally changed our life. It changed it so much that since I've been 10 years of age, We've had people coming to us in droves since then to get help. I was thinking about it because I'll sit in a room and I'll hear your story. And I can't tell you what's going through my mind except this. is Sometimes I think I wish you had had my dad for your dad. Because I really appreciate my dad trying something he had never tried before. I mean, he had never done this. I mean, he was raised in a church that when they went to church, they didn't take their Bible with them. And that was before you had it on cell phones. He didn't have any conception of what to do. It's just he loved his wife and he believed in God. And so he decided to try something he had never tried before. And so that's the message I'm putting out to you is you're going to be trying something you've never tried before because you love somebody, because you have compassion, because you have something that you want to see people get free. There was one girl and she was telling me about her demonic brother. There's not one of us that tell the story that wouldn't say, my brother's demonic. I mean, we all would just start out that way. But then when I heard her story, I was like, oh, yeah, he really is. I feel bad for you. But I listened to the role that her dad played, and it was nothing. And he was a spiritual one in the family. He didn't do anything about it. You know, one of our college kids, she had a mom that was bound up by demons. The mom was just a strong spiritual woman. But there came a point that she had had a breakdown. And she was telling me about how this had happened in her family. What her dad did was he said, um, she's a strong woman, she'll get over it. And he walked out. And I was so glad that my dad didn't look at my mom and say, she's a strong woman, she'll figure her way out. Because my mom is a strong woman. 
but it's not the kind of strength that you need to do what it takes to set someone free. So there's going to be somebody in your life that you're going to love enough that you're going to pray for them. There's going to be someone that you run into that you'll care enough for them that you'll do something about it. I was thinking of another one. This was a close friend of mine. She was so quiet and so compliant, but she was rebellious. Do you know those type? They look like the sweet ones. But you have these people, and they're very, very compliant people. But deep down inside of them, there's rebellion. But when she got out of being under the word, her life has had a series of horrible things happen to her because of that. And her dad's very strong. I admired him. But he did not do anything about what was in his daughter. He never, ever took authority over it. We talk about it in here, and we call it by one thing. We say it's because we are powerless people. The church has entered into a decade of powerlessness. We've actually entered into 2,000 years of not doing what the Bible says, and it shows. So we always think, well, why do we have these horrible problems? We don't have anything we can do about it. And so it's a plague that we have on us that we don't have power and as Christians, what I want to admire about you is the authority you carry on your life. You know, that's what they admired about Jesus. They'd look at him and say, this guy has authority that what he says happens, that what he says it does. Did you know that he meant for you to carry that authority in your life? So if you don't go through deliverance and you don't do deliverance like the Bible has instructed you to do, you will be powerless in your ministry. It won't sustain itself. And that's why I'm a believer in it, because I look at my mom today and think, hallelujah. You know, to see what she could have been and what she is by watching her speak all over the country, watching her testimony set other people free. And it's because my dad had the courage to do what I'm going to tell you to do tonight, which is your first time to do deliverance. We'll see what the scripture says about it. So could a father have protected his daughter from this? Well, there's different things that happen, and you have the ability to protect someone from these type things happening. Uh, we got a call today. A friend of mine called us, and he was telling about his daughter, and it was such a different story than what we had been telling him was happening with some of you in the group. And when we started saying, hey, you wouldn't believe what was happening with some of our kids in here with the Lord, then he said, oh, it's gone terrible for my daughter. And this guy's a professional. You don't know whether to jump right in or not because he wasn't telling us to help him. He was just telling us because he was upset about it. What ended up happening is somebody in the church at a young age, a leader in the church had abused his daughter. Now, I'm going to give you some things, and I'm saying this very much the next two stories. I'm going to tell you with my heart and my hands of how I tell it because, first of all, sometimes you just don't know. But I would tell you if you have children to pray protection promises over them every day. We're living in a very dangerous world. Don't send your kids to school without praying over them. Pray over the school. Pray that the Lord protects them. You know, Psalm 91 has a lot of great promises. I can't say enough thank you for my mom being diligent, praying over my brother and I. I would invite you, first of all, to preventatively protect your kids. Not just all the things you do in the natural to protect them. Those are great. Put them in uh, great cars have a lot of protection, put them in car seats, put a cell phone on them. You know, we have a lot of things we do to protect them, 
but there's nothing compared to praying the promises of God over your child. And then secondly, it's really good to have a spirit of discernment on you where you discern people and you don't let your kid be alone with somebody that you don't feel quite right about. And the enemy will do it in such a cruel way that he'll put them in a position it'd be someone that their role, you'd never expect it from that person because he tries to do it in such a twisted way. And what's happened is now the daughter's heart is very much twisted against the Lord. You know, that was the purpose. That's why the enemy did it. So he started telling us what she was doing now. And what she's doing to herself is even far worse than whatever happened to her. And it bothered you the way that he just switched off the conversation. He just seemed real disconnected, like, my daughter's life's ruined and I can't do anything. But there is never a time in your life that you can't do anything. There's never a time that the power of God can't invade. There's never a time that God can't heal the brokenhearted and he can't set the captive free. And so these kind of stories symbolizes the powerlessness that we're finding in listening to people talk about their problems. That they don't ever talk about what does the Bible say or the promises of God or their authority that they have as a believer at any juncture, at any place. Sometimes the enemy slips through. Sometimes he does something that literally we wish to God we could change. But there's never a time too late with the Lord. So I invite you into the prevention, but I also invite you into using your authority. I know a lot of you want to get married. And I'm going to say, with marriage comes authority. If you're not willing to use your authority, you're not willing to stir at the person that God's going to give you. You must use your authority. So I was thinking about it, and uh, deliverance is kind of like this. It's simple and it's pure. Just keep deliverance easy. Don't make it hard. There are so many weird people out there, we could write books on how weird people are with this. So it's simple and it's pure. And I remember there was a college guy here and he was very analytical. He would argue with a fence post. I mean, I could put him alone in a room and he'd be arguing with it. So anyway, I was going to be taking him overseas to the foreign mission field to the Philippines. I was going to do what I'd normally do with kids. I teach them about how to preach, and we do sermon preparation and how to witness, how to win your first person to the Lord, how to pray for the sick. We do all that, but the one thing I left for a surprise was they would meet their first demon in the Philippines. You cannot be over there three weeks, and I always love seeing the reaction of the kid. Because I taught them, just use the name of Jesus, whatever comes up. Well, we had been doing that for quite a few years, and there's nothing like it when you're raised denominationally. To have something in a different culture come up against you that you've never faced before. So I had thought, well, that's probably what we'll do. But something about this, it just, it didn't quite feel right with this guy. He was telling me, what am I going to do? What am I going to do when this happened? He goes, you must have a manual. Somewhere you have a manual that's going to tell me what to do. And so he was afraid of me. And the whole time I'm talking to him, I can tell he's more than afraid that I'm going to give him something really crazy. And we were sitting right over here when we were talking. I still remember where we were sitting and the look on his face. And when someone thinks you're crazy, the best thing to do is let them think you're a little crazier. You know. <laughs> 
I watch other people try to go back and assure them that you're not crazy, but I think it's best to just go ahead and go with the flow of it. And so with him, I said, yeah, we do. We have a book. And in this book, it tells you everything that you have to do. And he's like, oh, are you going to hand me the book? And, you know, you could see what he was thinking. I said, yeah, we have a book. And I said, you have to do exactly what that book says. I mean, line for line, it's been proven. And so he's getting more and more scared. And I'm telling him, I said, you can't deviate off of this a bit. And this guy is ready to be spooked by me. I didn't want to disappoint him. He's one of these guys, and he's a talker. But, I mean, people will see him, and he's one of those at the grocery store. You just go down a different aisle. And he gets people saved by the fact he will talk you to literally salvation, not death. I mean, you just finally as an atheist say, I'll do it, I'll pray it. So he has a great ministry in that area. So as that moment was building and he got so excited, he goes, all right, where's that manual before I go? And so I reach over and I grab our manual and I throw it at him. It's a big King James Version Bible. And I told him, do everything it says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just study it out in Acts. And I said, do it exactly the way this book says, and it should work. Oh, he was so relieved. You know, I can't get mad at guys like that because I know I come from that same thing of analytical. I mean, I tested scripture out. I didn't believe it. I was the hard head. I went against it. So I really think that God punished me by putting me in a ministry with people that were just like me, knuckleheads, and they're hard-headed. They get their doctrine all worked up because I have to see it in Scripture. And so I'll go against something trying to see if it's really there. Well, I felt like I had done what I was supposed to, but, you know, I was thinking I've never told the end of this story in this context. But honestly, when I handed him that book, he should have been looking in the mirror with what he was saying, and not at me. Because what happened over there is he didn't follow the book. And he ran into a situation that he was in charge of, and he turned to the world. And it's the most disastrous situation we've ever had happen. To this day, this person's not free. He lost his mind. And it's because the guy, when he got under pressure, he didn't do what the Bible said. He just started reaching for everything they know to do in the world. But the world at its best, it can mask it, it can cover it, or it can teach you a way to cope with it, but it never sets you free. And so I'm saying it lightly and saying it easily because it was funny because of just the interaction between him and myself. But it's not funny what happens if you come up against a spiritual problem and you use your own natural, carnal reasoning against it. And I would have never thought one guy could make as big of a mess as he made in the Philippines with what he did. And so I would tell you, as much fun as this is to talk about, the only thing that works is the Bible. The only thing that'll give you results is the Bible. So. Instead of judging me or thinking, you know, I wonder if what she says is correct, I'm asking you, look in your Bible. Get in your Bible. All I'm going to do is show you what I found in Scripture. It doesn't matter about the person. Sometimes I think God makes us have odd habits. You know, like we talked about, that you'll be offended 
like he tries to offend our mind to get to our heart. Every anointed speaker I ever saw, they do weird stuff. Like one guy would face the wall while he spoke. And you're like, what is wrong with him? Or they'll scratch. Or they'll do something weird. Find what I do weird. And then forget it. Because it's just a messenger. What really counts tonight is between you and God and that Bible in your hands. That's what really is going to make the difference. So I thought about it. If I was going to write what to do on your first deliverance, because I hope that you guys are as courageous as my father, and you'll do what he did to get her free. And so I thought I'd write you a little booklet. And I was looking at my notes tonight, and I wrote chapter one. Now, I haven't made a clever title, but I'm going to just take you through the five or six things that I think that you have to do. The first thing is, Jesus coaches you how to do deliverance. Jesus did the work. He trained you. He showed us how to do it. If you're like a kid and you really love good demon stories, read Mark. Mark tells it. He was the young one. He tells all the gory details about it. And that's how I like to do it. When I went to the Philippines, I met some Filipino pastors over there, and I love the fact that they've had experiences that I've never had, and I like those details. And you can watch Jesus' ministry, and that's what he did. You know, in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Again, it talks about the anointing being on your life to do this. He anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about doing good, healing, and delivering all those who were oppressed by the devil. That is the summary of his ministry. It says, for God was with him. So if you want to know what Jesus did, he went around, and the word in the Greek, sozo, and he healed and delivered everyone that the devil had bound up. If that's the definition of ministry, most people aren't doing it. And when you think about it, one-third of his ministry was spent casting out demons. One-third. And we don't do it. In Luke 10, 1, then he sends everybody out. And he gets them casting out demons. Now, these were a lot of newbies. They were people training for it. And they would go out, and they had their first experience. And they came back so excited, he had to nail their feet back down and say, Look, you've got to realize that your name's written in the book of life. Because there is nothing like the experience of when you see God's authority work. So I'm just telling you, of course it's fun. Don't let anybody lie to you. I was 10 years of age sitting in there watching people literally get set free in front of my eyes. It was better than anything I'd seen in a church. I was like, that's the power of God, watching it. Then the next part of your coaching is in Ephesians 4, 12 through 17. And it says Jesus equips you. Now, what I like about this is it talks about the five-fold ministry. And it's apostles, prophets, and it goes down the five-fold ministry. And it says you're equipped by the Holy Spirit in order to make the saints do the work. You see what I'm saying? It says that these are the uh, five-fold ministry. These are the five things that God has put in our church in order to equip you to do the work. We've got it reverse. We think that the fivefold ministry is equipped to do it. You think that you must bring it 
to somebody that has experience in doing it. No, it's going the wrong way. We're supposed to do what we're doing tonight. I'm supposed to equip you. Just like Jesus sent out the 70, he's still sending out the 70 today. The Holy Spirit is still going to send you to these type people for them to be set free. And some of you work in jobs that are around these type people. And literally, that's what it says. It's their responsibility to be equipped to do the work. So consider this. You're equipping. You are being equipped. The second chapter is your initial response. This is one of the most important things, is how you respond to the situation when you realize it's demonic. Don't let it build up. Don't let it get a hold. Think of it like CPR. The quicker you respond, the better. At that point, when something happens and you start seeing a demonic manifestation in front of you, your initial response counts. So what I would tell you is practice. When I was going to move from Brownwood to live in the city in Dallas, I thought, I'm the police department's nightmare. I don't lock my car. I don't lock my house. I talk to strangers. I do all kinds of things. I'm the nightmare. But one of my friends, right before I moved to Dallas, she had a guy get in her car at the mall and put a gun up to her. And suddenly I thought about, I'm not going to live through my four years in Dallas. This isn't going to work. I know what's going to happen to me. And I kept thinking, every time I come to my car, there'll be someone in it. And the cops will ask, did you have your door locked? And I'll say, I don't know. And so as I pictured that scene of someone sitting in my back seat, something came over me and I thought, I'm going to have to start practicing using my authority and not paralyzing with fear. And so I would start commanding that spirit to get off that person in my going over it. And as I did it, as I'd command it, I would just feel my authority rise. But it took a while. Eventually, I commanded it so hard, I commanded it will never happen to me. I'm just praying preventatively, lead me away from that situation. And I'm going to tell you, I lived in Dallas for four years, never had a problem. Guess what? My friend who had the guy and the gun in the parking lot, she used her authority, and she was able to knock the gun out of the guy's hand, shove him out of her car, and take off. It's the authority. So this is your initial response. And you must practice being in a fearful situation and knowing that the most powerful weapon that you have is not your pepper spray. The most powerful weapon you have is the name of Jesus Christ. It will make your natural weapon work right. I hear stories every day people call me, and it's the power of initially responding to the devil. Don't paralyze in fear. Fear gives the attacker power. That is their idea, is to get you afraid. And the only thing that literally can make you not afraid is the name of Jesus. One thing I did is I went out here and I worked in the prison. And they would lock me in there with guys that had had this on them, like they had done so much of this. And I felt the authority that I had myself, just me. Because sometimes my partner wouldn't come. And I literally felt the power of the name of Jesus. I told you in the front of my smuggler book what happened to me one night when a guy didn't believe my story. I don't know why he thought 
not believing my story meant that he had the right to hit me in the face. But he reached back and he slammed forward. And I'd been fasting that day, and I hate to tell you how weak my faith was, but I just closed my eyes. I wish I had never done it. But the problem that I had with him slamming forward with his fist was that all the guys that I loved and trusted in and thought were going to turn out to be little pastors, for some reason they turned on me and they started screaming, yeah, do it. Let's see if it works. I'm hearing the jeers. I'm locked back there in the kitchen where everyone was. And as he slammed forward, I closed my eyes. And the guys who didn't close their eyes said that his fist hit something right in front of my face and he fell down to the ground. He never made contact. And he went into this demonic trembling, and he started shaking. Anyway, the staff rushed in, and they asked me what happened. And he was cursing and screaming, and they carried him to security, and I said, I don't know, because I didn't see it. (laughs) The next week, all my little angel boys were at their halos. They were stuffing notes in my pocket saying, I'm sorry, miss, I don't know what came over me. I don't know why I did that. And I'm going to tell you, I had somehow inside of me started thinking I could trust these guys as they got the word in them. You can never trust a crowd. The crowd will yell, Hosanna one week and crucify the next. Groupthink doesn't work. And so I'm saying it will mean you and the power of God on your life. So your initial response. I want you to think through the worst thing you've ever gone through. And would it have turned out differently if he could have had a quicker initial response? And that takes in even when the enemy tells you, I'm going to do this to you. Are you using scriptures to push back and say, oh, no, you're not? Because every day the devil tells me what he's going to do to me. Every day I see my own demise. Every day I picture vain imaginations. Every day I use my authority and say, no. You know, I think about my mom. And I think about the deliverance my dad did on her. And you know how it happened. She was with a lady, and she got into some spiritual warfare. It bounced back on top of my mother, and my mother lost her mind for eight years. This is what happens when Americans go into foreign countries. They're not used to foreign devils. That's how I always said. They don't understand the spiritual warfare in a certain region. So my mom had decided she was going to witness to this Buddhist lady, and all the stuff bounced back on my mom. She thought she could get it off of her by taking my baby carriage around and around at the park. She thought finally that thing would leave her mind. She didn't know it would be eight years later. Psychiatrist, medicine, shock treatments, nothing was touching it. She lost her mind. But let me tell you the difference. If my dad hadn't failed at his first response when he came home, the book would be tormented five minutes and back. (laughs) And that's what's sad. We waste a lot of time. And that's what lets it set up. So I'm telling you, it can be a different story. You can either have your eight years, your 12 years, or your five minutes. And you can get this attack off. Because the less you let it make a home in you, the better that it is. Chapter three, how qualified do you have to be? How trained? Most people, they look at this as a hierarchy thing that the more mature you are, the better you'll be at this. And I'm not introducing it to that audience. I'm introducing it to young people. And one of the reasons is young people believe the word. That's why there are 20 year olds that go and fight the wars. 
It's the best thing that can ever happen, how zealous you are in your youth, and it's the worst. It's the most dangerous thing about you, and I have to be careful because literally it is putting you in motion with what the Bible says. So I was going to give you Jesus' answer to this, and I would say it's in Mark 9, 38. And it's not Peter that comes and says this to Jesus. You would think it would be Peter, but it was John the lover, John the beloved, He says, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we told the guy, stop, because he was not one of the disciples. So somebody saw somebody else doing the deliverance. And he didn't say I made him stop because he was doing it wrong. He said, I told him to stop because he wasn't trained by you. He's not one of the disciples. Did you know when you keep reading this story, there's one thing you learn about this guy. He didn't know much about what he was doing. Well, Jesus says, well, what does it matter if he casts out demons? He won't be able to speak evil of me soon. That's not a very grounded believer. If he uses the name of Jesus to cast out demons, and that means that he won't be where he can use Jesus' name to curse with it soon. Like once you've seen the power of the name of Jesus, you won't say, oh, Jesus, unless you're calling on him. This is a novice. So the most qualified person to do this is a novice. Honestly, I would take somebody to someone that's new at it, that was solid and believed God's word than I would these other people that have these books published because it's the power of God that does it. And uh, Jesus told him, don't rebuke that guy. It's interesting how Jesus spoke about it. I got this email in our ministry and this lady is fearful and unwilling and I want you to hear this story she's from the Nazarene church they didn't know what they were doing but it worked they used the name of Jesus in Psalm 91 I think so she writes me I was a hands-on part of a genuine New Testament experience you can tell that she's excited it's like my Bible has come alive even though this type of miracle was one of my greatest fears. If you're scared of deliverance, welcome. I am honored that God allowed me to be used. That was her humility statement. There are no sufficient words to describe the encounter, but I never want to forget it. A mission team from our church, a church of the Nazarene in Maryland, was ministering in an orphanage in Honduras where children up to the age of 12 are cared for. God had given us a message for them on the princess theme. We asked the girls if they believed in fairy tales and explained there's only one fairy tale that's real and true. In every fairy tale, good and evil are fighting for the life of the princess. We told them that they're each a princess of the king of kings and that a very real battle is occurring in their lives. We shared the good news that their stories can be happy ending when they choose Jesus as their Savior. Little did we know (laughs) that in a matter of days, we would see the battle literally play out for the life of a precious princess name, and she gives the name. Now, our fairy tale, it has demons in the stories. You can tell people the nice little tale of ask Jesus in your heart, and it's going to be happy ever after. No, it's not. It's going to be spiritual warfare. And you see this taking place, especially in countries where they openly have these things going on. This young lady, I'm going to call her, let's just say Catherine, was 15 years of age, and she had a beautiful 18-month-old daughter. Okay, 
She's 15, had an 18-month-old. Okay, she had been in the orphanage for about two years, and she's very sweet. I never would have imagined that she was dealing with an evil presence. Catherine mustered up the courage to take two missionary friends aside and share the terrifying experiences that she had been living. They listened as Catherine explained what had been occurring and asked for their help. A boy with whom she had had somewhat of volatile relationship had recently passed away which resulted in Catherine feeling guilt. Soon after hearing the news of his passing, an evil spirit took the form of the boy and began to torment her. He would sit on her bed at night and threaten to take the little girl if she participated in any of the devotions or the worship time. This is what demons do. If you get close to the Word of God, they say we're going to make you pay for it. If you get close to someone with authority, the demon says, I'm going to make it worse in your head. If you get close to it, it plays a game with you. And that's exactly what took place in this girl's life. That when they brought in the presence of God and they brought in worship, she started being tormented. When she go, she felt scratching down her arm. And then she felt her hair being pulled. The evil spirit also threatened to take possession of another 12-year-old child and convince her to commit suicide. Unbeknownst to us then, the other child was telling my husband and I the same thing at the same time. She said there was a curse on her and that curse would cause her to be killed. After hearing all this, our leader gathered the team together in the library where we encircled Catherine to pray over her. Catherine was weeping, saturated with sweat, and clinging to one of the women. I think she was relieved to have told someone, but she was still terrified. After our leader explained to the group what Catherine had shared, we all began audibly praying, completely surrounding her. And at the time of praying, God led a team member to pray Psalm 91 over her. As the leader began reading it and asked Catherine to repeat after her, but Catherine said, no. She wasn't going to do it. Now, I wrote this down because I'd never seen Psalm 91 used in a deliverance. Now, I take that back. I've seen somebody take their Bible and rub it on somebody because it wasn't working, but I'd never seen this. So the leader firmly told her, you will repeat it. And Catherine looked at her and uncharacteristically, confrontational, boldly screamed, no. Have you ever seen that happen? At that point, I knew we were dealing with something serious. <laughs> Our leader asked the entire group, open your Bibles to Psalm 91 and pray it over Catherine. So they all began to pray together. When we had read two lines, Catherine's hands were trembling and covering her ears. She began ripping at her hair and struggling to get away. I ran up to help hold her, and we found ourselves on the floor. Yes, this is what will happen. One 15-year-old girl can take the entire group down. Catherine's back was arching, and her body appeared to be writhing in pain. We fought to keep her physically in the room and her hands off her ears. So picture it. All these good church women are on top of this girl, on the floor, and they can't even get her hands off her ear, and the girl is going to dart out of there. This is usually how it goes. <laughs> Except we don't do it physically. We fought to keep her physically in the room. We prayed the name of Jesus over her again and again, and I repeatedly declared to her that Jesus died for her. She was his, and she was covered by the blood. I prayed his name over her and her baby, claiming them for Jesus. The rest of the group was at the same time reportedly praying Psalm 91 over her. And the two people whose first language is Spanish happened to be standing side by side with their Bible. 
these two young women recited the psalm together over and over. One of our team members began praying with an authority like I had never heard before. Hmm. Catherine began crouching, coughing, and choking, and then her face turned to the side and vomited a little before going still. She was so peaceful and relaxed that I had to check her and make sure she was still breathing. We began wiping her face and arms down to cool her off. As we were wetting her feet, she came back and she slowly opened her eyes. She looked like she was in a state of utter confusion and she asked, what happened? Cynthia told her the spirit was gone and she was free and she said, give me agua. And she guzzled down two bottles without stopping before slowly sitting up. She managed to stand, and we asked her how she felt. Calm at last, she answered, at peace. I have never wanted to be around a deliverance experience like you read about in the Bible. And yet when I saw Catherine get set free, it made me glad I was a part of getting her free. And this is the power of God. These women did it as best as they could and as close to the Bible. So I'm going to say, going to the experts, going to the professionals, the therapists, the counselors, the mental coaches will not do for you what going to the Word of God will do. If it is a spiritual problem, take spiritual action. It's the name of Jesus that has power over something that is unnatural. If it looks crazy, It is crazy. So it's okay to attempt the first deliverance. God really likes risk. Let me tell you something you might not know. God really likes it when you're uncomfortable. We don't like it, but he likes it. It's called vulnerability. John's the one that introduced the concept to me. I don't think I learned it well enough. There's nothing but the name of Jesus. When those disciples started failing... And they were given authority, but they had not done their work. What is the work you have to do? Prayer and fast. And if you try to skip out on it, you get to do the deliverance again and pray and fast. (laughs) You know, I have a different point of view than most people of the sons of Sceva. That was one of those great deliverances where it didn't quite work out like this little girl, Catherine. The sons of Sceva, they started casting out the demons the demons were able to beat up seven men. One guy beat seven men up and took their clothes off of them. And they told it all over the country about them. You know, no one looks in the Bible and thinks, that's terrible for you to have such deliverance gone bad that everybody talks about you getting the clothes beat off of you. Mm -hmm. And people do a lot of theology around this. But I'm going to tell you what I think it is. I think failures are authority failures. I'm going to just say this with the seven sons of Sceva. There is authority in the name of Jesus, but they weren't convincing with it. And when the demon said, we know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you, all they had to do was lock down and say, you will. And in the name of Jesus Christ, and keep going. But at that point, you've got to be convincing if you're not convinced in yourself which it can work like the lady Catherine she wasn't convinced but you just do what you know to do it's not you casting the spirit out it's the name of Jesus the name of Jesus actually is what moves it you just got to speak it you've just got to say it 
And literally, I think that they could have just kept on and just stayed on course with it. Y'all, I've told you, we've had people come, and one of them came with a gun into my house. Then she comes back with a knife, and she lifts Steph up by the collar, and she grabs me around the neck, and she reaches for her knife, and she was going to slit my little throat. It's the name of Jesus. By that time, I wasn't afraid because I was in the middle of a deliverance, so it wasn't scary to me. Because of the name of Jesus. I'm not used to hands being put on me in a deliverance. Like the authority of the name of Jesus keeps people where they can't hurt you. They cannot harm your life. And why I think on the sons of Sceva they could have just kept pushing in and going is because of that story I heard about. I don't know if y'all saw the little video of it, but a convenience store was being robbed and the robber pointed the gun at a lady and she goes, in the name of Jesus, you cannot hurt me. So he was like, oh, and pointed to the guy next to her. (laughs) This guy was a smart guy. He says, I say what she says. (laughs) And it worked. It's hilarious to me that that works, that the demonic kingdom did not harm with him saying, I'm going to kill you. I say what she says. I mean, that's how you get to know Jesus fast. The authority. It's the power of the name of Jesus. That's where down inside of you, at night, you tell yourself, I will put the name of Jesus in me so when I'm afraid, I'm not going to curse. Because if you start saying, oh, horse manure, (laughs) there's no power in horse manure. It has never delivered one person. And when you scream manure, 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 you have no power. So say the name of Jesus. I told you about my friend, and she screamed manure, manure, manure. And she said it wasn't working. And then I remembered your Bible study. So I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Does that sound deep to you? No, but it stopped the problem. It's that simple. The next chapter, your first deliverance. This is normal Christian living. Don't let the devil lie to you that I'm telling you something that's not normal. There's three ways to look at it. Dispensationalism. Some of y'all know what all those words mean. It's what they say in theology class. But it's deliverance passed away with the miracles. They just think it's all gone. And so some people have said no more. And it's that 2,000 years of thinking this stuff has passed away. Well, I don't adhere to that doctrine. But if you do, just believe that the latter rain will be greater than the former rain. And just start now. (laughs) But... If you don't believe in dispensationalism and you think this is true, then this is what the church does, and this is how we agree upon it as believers. We say, yes, deliverance is for crazy people, and it is. It's for the really, really bizarrely crazy people in your life, your brother. It's for those type people. And in the Bible, when you think of a good deliverance, and the ones most like telling about it's legion. And it's the one where his voice, he speaks, and he says, it goes from I and we to you. I mean, it changes voices of who's speaking out of the guy. Watch how they use the pronouns in that one. And that's how it is, that sometimes people's thoughts, they think it's themselves thinking it. Sometimes it's the demon speaking. It's shocking how the language works in the Legion story. But a not normal person makes life not normal for everyone around them. 
And that, as a church, people will allow. If somebody is really crazy, they need deliverance and they'll believe in it. Most of us relegate, we'll do deliverance if that ever happens to us. Or it might be something like this. This is the one I told you about your brother. But think about this household where the father comes. And he says, behold, a spirit seizes my son. And he suddenly will just cry out. And it convulses him so that my son foams at the mouth. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising. So you can see that it was coming and going out of the kid. And then it says, while Jesus started walking up to the spirit, the demon slammed the kid to the ground and he threw him into the convulsion and he put him in the fire. And the dead said, it'll often, this spirit will make my son be thrown into the water or into the fire. Because what's the demon trying to do? Killing. That's what suicide does. That's what it's trying to lead you to death. And so you understand why this person would go for deliverance. It's just like the demoniac. This guy would run around the tombs. He had no clothes on. They'd chain him up, and he'd shriek in the night. Can you imagine telling the kids, that guy running around the cemetery, screaming, explaining that to your children? (laughs) This guy shrieks at night, and this is okay, and so what we're going to do is chain him up? I mean, that's what our best ideal is. In other countries, they're very, very primitive They chain them up. They chain them to trees. In our country, we're very, very sophisticated. We give them shots and pills and put them in a locked room. What's the difference? Can you imagine what normal would be to a person's life who was having to take care of someone like this? What we call normal is not what God calls normal. A man chained up is not normal. A man growling. Have you ever had someone growl at you? Hiss. It's not normal. Legion is the most abnormal story in the Bible. And that's why it is our favorite. When we get to deliverance, this is the story we think of. But y'all, we're forgetting the punchline. The abnormal guy became normal. That inside of Legion lived a worshiper. And he fell to the feet and he began to worship Jesus. Sometimes in the craziest person Inside of them lives someone who wants to worship Jesus. But I'm going to say this is not what I believe either. I don't believe this view of the church. I think deliverance is for normal people. It is not something that is supposed to be just saved for someone that drives you crazy. For someone who talks to you and you would say, for sure, they're a serial murderer. It's not for that. I'm going to give you a verse. I think that what Jesus implemented deliverance for were people just like you and me. In Luke 8, 2 through 3, it talks about some women. And one of them was someone that was very close to Jesus. So close to Jesus that she was the first person that ever saw him resurrected from the dead. So close to Jesus that he was on his way up to see the Father. And she was looking for him. And he let her see him. And he said, you can't touch me yet. Someone that was so personal to Jesus, and and not a man, a woman. And it says Jesus took her through deliverance. And it tells you how many demons he cast out of her. And to me, this is the most precious story in the Bible when it talks about personal deliverance. 
Because what means more to me is not Legion's story or some of the great stories we've seen of people get powerfully set free. But what means something to me are those things that God has delivered me of. Of those things where literally I was bound up and God delivered me. You know, it's personal help. It's the fact that there are answers to things that plague me. You can do it the harder way. You can just take a verse and every time something rises up in you, just quote that verse to it. You can just push and try and work all your life. I'm for it. It's better than nothing. But the power of God getting it off your life, there's nothing like it. You shouldn't live with a heavy depression over you all your life. You shouldn't live with these different things. In Luke 13, the normal side of deliverance, it says that there was a lady, she was bent over double. Y'all, I can't imagine your view being what's between your ankles. And y'all, she was bent over double for 18 years. And the Bible doesn't say, we don't know what caused it. It says it was caused by a spirit. It said literally, she was disabled by a spirit. A spirit can disable your life. One translation of it is she had a spirit of infirmity. Some of you are laboring under a spirit of infirmity. And Jesus takes one look at this lady and says, this ought not be. And I don't know what your theology is, but some people think that everything that is is God's will. Some people think that if it happens to you, God willed it. But Jesus looked at it and said, she's a daughter of Abraham. This ought not be. Y'all, those are the most beautiful words in the Bible for him to say, there are things in your life that ought not be. But you're not going to get the results this lady got unless you do it the way Jesus did it. And so he did it by casting a spirit off of her. I'm telling you, if I saw a lady crippled to the point she was bent over, I wouldn't have known it was a demonic spirit. I would have thought she needed a healing. But it literally says that he cast the spirit off of her and she stood up straight. Y'all, what are we putting up with? You can make it a theological argument or you can say maybe God is offending my mind to get to my heart. That he's trying to get through, that it's the most illogical thing that you could ever do except that you're getting exactly to the thing that's causing the problem. Just like my mother's psychiatrist said to my father, my dad said, I'll get a second job. Just get my wife well. And he told him, I would if I could. We're treating the symptoms, but we don't know what the root is. That's the best that can be done. And thank God for doctors that treat symptoms. But thank God for the doctor that delivers you of the root. And so at this point... Jesus tells you something that has changed my theology about it. When he says it's caused by spirit, it says that Satan has bound these years. This is the devil binding your life. If you don't believe the Bible, get liquid paper and mark it out of your Bible. Mark it out if you don't believe it. But if you do believe it, I'd say we need to handle it the way that he said. But this is the theology that Jesus writes about it. In verse 15, he said, wouldn't I just untie my ox or my donkey and wouldn't I take them out of the stall and lead them to water? Shouldn't I let this lady be free? Now look at his analogy. He doesn't make some huge drama out of this, does he? 
What does he point to? He said, this is normal care. That's amazing to me, all of us who have animals, to give my animal water, to untie my animal, to let him out of his stall is normal. And this is what I'm saying is deliverance is normal. And you'll lose the impact of it if you make it something it's not. You're being silly with your faith if you make it real drama or, oh, we talked about demons tonight. I'm scared. No, it's normal. It's as normal care for a pastor to give you deliverance as it is for me to give you water. It's as normal as feeding you. That is the most beautiful scripture to tell you this is normal. In fact, in another place, Jesus says deliverance is children's bread. Y'all, it's for children. This is not deep theology. This is the very basics. And we're getting prideful with the Lord to make it something that it's not. People that do deliverance try to make it be such a huge intellectual thing. People that talk about them make it so drama. It's neither. It is just normal care. And it should be given to every single person. Who needs deliverance? Everyone. I've never seen anyone be dealt a a fair deck of cards, a fair hand. I've never seen you like everything that you were dealt in life. Everyone has horrible blows. You need deliverance. It's normal. So Jesus described it as normal care. It can't get any more basic than this. Normal takes care of abnormal when we use the authority of God. So what do I tell you? If you meet a crazy person, do deliverance. But for the most part, you're going to be praying for people that need normal care. So what are you going to do with it? Jesus sends you out. And you can sit there and use all your excuses. I'm not ready. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it'll jump on me and beat all my clothes off of me. Where the disciples said I might fail in Matthew 17 and Mark 9 is the place that it puts the promise, nothing is impossible. What is your reason for not starting? I'm going to say something to you. You need to answer the question, why have you not started? Especially if you've been quite a few years here. Why have you not started? So this is how I'm going to answer it. Have you ever known someone that was going to get married probably before they should? You know, like they got married a little too young or a little too quick. But guess what? Their marriage made it. And I'm as surprised as anyone. (laughs) Like sometimes I'm like, wow, that's a really good marriage. And they didn't do it long enough. Like I I could see so many problems that were going to happen, but yet it worked. I have a name for those kind of marriages. I call it wet concrete. It's when you start trying to build your house before the concrete dry. Now, it's best to build on dry concrete. It's best. It takes a lot of work. And so I don't advise an early marriage or a quick one, but I've seen them work. And I'm going to say the same with deliverance. You should have started years way back when you first got saved. It's smarter to be trained for three years. It is. But now you've waited till it's almost too late. Get started. Get started. As a church, we're behind We are not doing what we should. Why are you going to delay any longer? If you're going to agree with me that there are marriages that turn out really good, 
that didn't wait as long as they should, then I'm saying even more so with something spiritual. Should we get started and do what God's telling us to do? Start the journey. The Lord has a way of helping you. But if you do nothing, you're going to keep all your problems. But to those who do it God's way, it said to him, nothing is impossible. So the last chapter is impartation. You know, the Peggy Joyce Ruth set the captives free story was built on her testimony. But to my knowledge, the church they pastored, nobody did deliverances. And they would bring them to my parents. And that's because as churches that we have financial seminars, oh, let's make sure we make the money. Let's believe in the money. (laughs) Put the money in the offering plate. I'm going to twist your arm every day when I pass the offering plate. Make the money. We talk on relationships because the number one thing is to make sure our relationships are good. But honestly, it says that what is marriage? Two ox and a yoke to do work. You're equipped to do work. Or in churches, we're obsessed with our own spirituality. Do I have the fruit of the Spirit? You really hurt my feelings. Did I answer you kindly? These are the things we do as a church. But we don't do what God tells us to do. In Mark 16, it says believers will cast out demons. It's first on the list because it's the easiest. The reason we're not getting the results is churches won't speak on this. So there's no training on deliverance, no practical experience, and for sure, there is no impartation. I'm not willing to have you bring me every crazy person you know. I can't keep up with all those that are my normal care. So I'm telling you, use the name of Jesus. If you get in trouble, text. But just keep using the name of Jesus because when my mother went into something that was laying on the floor that my dad was so scared, if my mother-in-law comes down here and sees her daughter, now granted she's been crazy for eight years, but if she sees her in this condition, so my dad thought, well, if the name of Jesus got her in this, The name of Jesus will get her out. And my mother didn't look good for a little while laying on the floor, what she was doing. She didn't. But if the name of Jesus will get them into it, the name of Jesus will pull them out. So the Bible says, do it. It's normal. And I thank the Lord that this gift that I shared with you tonight, it's not a theological debate to me. It's the most personal thing I could share with you because it gave me back a mom. And I have watched time after time of people get delivered and to get free. And I just gave you a gift by telling you, take that King James Bible or NLT or whichever one you want, and you use it to the power of God. Amen.